All right, John chapter 9. If you have a Bible this morning, and I certainly hope that you do, take a Bible and turn to John chapter 9. Over the past few months, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've, we've seen that Jesus has been making some I am statements, right? We've been seeing these I am statements continually throughout the Gospel of John. We saw Jesus tell the Samaritan woman at the well, what did he say? He said, I am the living water. Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. Of course, by at this point, we should know that Jesus is not talking about literal, physical. He's talking about the spiritual. When Jesus fed thousands of people with five small loaves and two loaves, uh, five small loaves of bread and two fishes, he told them, I'm the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will never be thirsty again. Then we saw this a few weeks ago. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So as we go through this dark, confusing world, we need a light. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. And Jesus says, I am that light. Last week at the very end of chapter 8, and I'll be honest, this is my favorite I am statement in all the gospel of John. At the end of very end of chapter 8, Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, and they revered their patriarch Abraham. And what did Jesus say in the very end of chapter 8, verse 58? He says, this is the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. What a statement for Jesus to make. Jesus was speaking to his identity as God, his character as eternal God, his essence as the creator of the universe. And all of these I am statements, Jesus reveals who he is and the new spiritual reality that he provides. When Jesus said, I am the living water, drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus, Jesus was saying, you can pursue and chase after anything in this life, but you're still going to be remain spiritually thirsty. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, Jesus was saying, especially to the Jewish people who the main staple of their diet was bread, Jesus was saying, I provide spiritual sustenance, health. I will keep you alive spiritually. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he said, I remove the darkness. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was talking about, I am eternal God. In all these statements, Jesus revealing who he is in the new spiritual reality that he provides for us even today. But as also as we've gone through the Gospel of John, we've been seeing signs or miracles. John calls them signs or miracles throughout this Gospel of Jesus, again, revealing who, his reality, what he, what, what he was doing to reveal himself as God. Some theologians and scholars even call the Gospel of John the, the book of signs. Well, what are some of the signs? A little bit of review here. What are some of the signs that we saw? Well, in John chapter 2, what was the first sign that Jesus performed, the first miracle? What was it? Water and the wine. The wedding of Cana. They had a Cana. We just had a wedding here yesterday for Charlie and ja Jackie. Thankfully, we didn't have to turn any Coke, Sprite, wine, anything into, uh, or water into that. They had plenty yesterday. But Jesus was at a wedding, they were running out of wine, which is a big deal, and Jesus turned water into wine, right, okay? So anyone remember the second sign? It's a little bit more obscure. It's when Jesus healed the royal official's son. Then we've seen Jesus throughout this gospel healing the sick, 
He fed the 5,000. He walked on the water. Only God could turn water into wine. Only God could heal the sick. Only God could walk on water. And Jesus did these miracles or signs not to show off, not because he was some deistic magician or to flex his muscles as God or to put on a show, but it was to prove who he was. Because here's what, what's, what's interesting. Throughout ancient history, especially the Greeks, the Greek gods, they flexed their muscles. It's about these cosmic beings fighting with one another. Now we have a being claiming to be God, and he's not flexing his muscle. Yes, he's healing people, he's feeding thousands of people, he's walking on the water, but he's showing to prove who he is, not to flex his muscle. Well, here in John chapter 9, we're going to see another miracle, another sign of who Jesus is, but not just of who he is, but what he came to do. Because the beauty of what Jesus would do, whenever he would heal someone, there was always a deeper message there. Yes, Jesus cared about the physical state of people. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus would look upon the multitudes of people and he would be moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus would move with, with compassion. Yes, Jesus cared about people's physical state, but Jesus consistently throughout the Gospels and his life, Jesus was always working towards a deeper meaning. And he would use people's physical state to teach them and show them a spiritual reality. And he's going to do that today. So we're going to cover all of John chapter 9. We don't have time to read the entire chapter today. So let's just kind of look at this for just a moment. But one day Jesus passed by a man that was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him if the man had sinned or his parents had sinned. Now, there was this idea in that day and age that if you had a disease or a sickness, that was God's way of punishing you, okay? Is there an Old Testament figure that maybe that rings a bell that, this, that, that had this kind of thought? Job. Remember Job? Job's wife, especially, she was such a source of encouragement, right? Wrong. <laughs> She, Job had lost everything. He lost his finances, he lost his family, he lost his health, and his wife told him to curse God and die. Why? Because they had this idea that based on your circumstances, that's what God felt about you. So if things were going bad, you had to obviously sin, so God was punishing you. And if things were going well for you, you had done something for God to please you. Now, we can laugh at that, and we can even kind of think that that idea may sound archaic, but sometimes don't we have the tendency to think like that today? We think like that today, don't we? If things are going bad at home, or in our marriage, or at work, or whatever, we can have this idea of God is trying to punish me. Yes, now, now, now yes, God does chase after his children the bible teaches that he loves us but just because bad things are happening in your life and mine does not mean that god is mad at you don't buy that lie that is a lie that's a direct lie from satan don't listen to that well the disciples asked jesus a question they asked him this man's blind who sinned was it his parents or was it him well, Jesus told his disciples, basically in not so many words, that's not the way it works. 
But then again in verse 5, and you can look at it there in, in John chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus again uses the idea of, I am the light of the world. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after Jesus said that, now, if you're a germaphobe, plug your ears here, okay? If you don't like germs, uh, if you work in the medical field, my dad's a registered nurse and my dad is a, just a germaphobe, okay? Um, we were over at their house uh, the other night and... Um, you know, he's happy to see his three grand grandkids, but he thinks he's going to get sick every time the grandkids come over. It's because he works in the medical field, okay? And so if you're a germaphobe, close your ears, okay? So after Jesus em emphasized again that he was the lie of the world, he spit on the ground, he made some mud from the spit, and put that mud and that spit and that dirt on the guy's eyes, now, again, if you're a germaphobe, you're freaking out right now, okay? And even to me, I'm not a big germaphobe. That sounds really gross to me, right? Spitting, making mud, and putting it on Jesus' eyes, like when I, or on the guy's eyes. And I, when I read this, I'm like, Jesus, why didn't you just heal his eyes? Why did you have to spit and put mud on his eyes? Jesus then told this guy to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, Jesus was teaching something here, even in spitting. We're going to get back to this in just a moment. By spitting into dirt and making it mud and putting it on the guy's eyes, He's teaching a spiritual reality here. So hold that thought. Jesus then goes, tells this man to go to a pool of water called Siloam or Scent and wash the mud, eyes, uh, the mud out of his eyes. I would hope so. He does, and then what happens? What happens? He comes back with his eyesight. He can see. It's like instantaneous LASIK eye surgery, right? Right, you know, we, we're in this high technology world where you can go now, if you're having eye trouble, you can go get LASIK eye surgery and you can get 20-20 vision. I guess that's how it works. I don't know. It makes me nervous thinking about making that. I had a high school teacher and he was pretty quirky, pretty odd guy. And he uh, used to say some pretty uh, amazing things. And he, one time he told us in class, he said, you know, it's amazing that we have lasers today that can do a, a delicate eye surgery and lasers that can destroy a military tank. And Mr. Krieger was his name. And Mr. Krieger had laser eye surgery. And this is a true story. He told the doctor, he said, make sure you set the laser from tank to eye. Uh, because the power we have with the lasers, he was consumed with that. Well, this was like instantaneous laser eye surgery. This guy's going from being blind to seeing. He's received his sight. And of course, people start noticing this. This is a close-knit community. Many people knew this man, even blind from birth. And they start asking this guy questions. They didn't even know if it was the same guy. And they asked him, are you this guy that was blind from birth? And he said, yeah, it's me. But here's what happens with these people. Instead of caring about the result of this man who was blind from birth, receiving his eyesight, they cared more about the how, not the what. They cared more about the how or the process of how he received his sight. They asked him, how did you receive his sight? And he tells them that Jesus healed him by putting mud on his eyes and telling him to wash. So what did they do? They take him to the religious leaders, of course. They take this poor guy to the Pharisees and they pepper him with questions. They even brought his parents in 
to figure out how this happened, and they didn't know how it happened. They even told the Pharisees in front of this investigation, investigation, they essentially launched this investigation, and they asked his parents how this happened. They said, I don't know, and he's of age, ask him. So they bring the guy back in a second time to testify about this, and they start trying to figure out what happens, and they start ridiculing him. This former blind man, and then he gives a great testimony about Jesus. So look at verse 32. This is where we're going to pick up. Verse 32 of John 9. The man says, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Okay, so there's a transformation going on in this man's life. Jesus had spit on the ground, on some dirt, formed mud, put on his eyes. He goes back to a pool of water, washes the mud out of his eyes. He's received his eyes. So there's a transformation happening in this man's life. But there's something interesting about this transformation, this rebirth in this man's life. Because he's believing things about Jesus. So let's backtrack a minute. Look at verse 11. All right, now we want to focus on the miracle of this man receiving his sight back, but there's something bigger happening in his life than just receiving his eyesight. So verse 11, all right, the people here in verse 11, they're asking him, what happened? How did you receive his sight? And he answered, the, verse 11, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Salome and wash. So what did he initially believe who Jesus was? He believed he was a man. He said right here, he says, the man called Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes, I was healed of my sight. So he believes he's a man. At this moment, this, this blind man, former blind man, believes that Jesus exists. He be believes in the existence of Jesus, right? He's a man. He had, this, had his saliva in his eyes, okay? Jesus had touched his eyes. He surely believed in the existence of Jesus. Okay, he believed he was a man. Now skip down to verse 17. He first says, I believe he's a man. A man, the man called Jesus. And then verse 17, again, they ask the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. So he goes from believing that Jesus is a man to he's a prophet. And this questioning keeps going and going and going. So skip down to verse 27. They keep peppering him with questions. He says, verse 27, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? So now he believes that Jesus is one who might be followed by disciples. And he asks the religious leaders, are you asking me these questions because you want to follow him too? So he's gone from, he's a man. He's gone from, he's a prophet, now to one who has people following him, disciples. And this questioning keeps going and going and going. And then verse 33 that we just read, he says, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. So he's gone from man, prophet, to disciples following him. Now he's from God. There's a transformation coming, going on here. There's a progression of belief. Now, 
Let's see what happens here. Verse 34. How do the religious leaders act? How do the people act? He's just giving a testimony. I believe he was a man. I believe he was a prophet. He has disciples. Now he's from God. Let's see how they respond. Verse 34. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. Are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. They threw this guy out for what he was saying. Now let's keep going, verse 35. Jesus heard what they had thro- that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If, we, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, sin, we see your sin remains. Don't you love what Jesus does here in the very first part of the section, verse 35? This man had been thrown out. In fact, his parents had even kind of sold him down the river a little bit. His parents had even said, well, he's of age. Ask him how this happened. And what does Jesus do in his love and his compassion? He hears this man has been thrown out. And what does Jesus do? He looks for him. He looks for him. Because verse 35, it says, And when he found him, he found him. So he goes and seeks him out. And now think about this. Put yourself in the shoes of this former blind man. Talking about an emotional roller coaster here. At one point, he's being healed from blindness to being called and, and celebrating that. He's been healed. He's received his sight for the first time in his life, he can see to being called in by the religious leaders and questioned and having an investigation launched into what happened and then thrown out. And Jesus seeks him out. Now, faith family, there's something that we need to understand about Jesus. Jesus seeks us out. Where we are in our lives, no matter where we are at, Jesus is seeking us out. He is pursuing us. He pursues this man. He finds him, this poor, downtrodden man, and asks him a question. He asks him a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Jesus is not asking him, do you believe I exist? That's not what he's asking. Jesus never asks the question, ever. We never see him ask the question, do you believe I exist? That's never where Jesus starts. Jesus is asking him, do you trust me? It's interesting here that Jesus says son of man, not son of God. Now, Jesus was both son of God and son of man. So what is Jesus doing here by saying, do you believe in the son of man? What Jesus is doing, he's inviting the man, the man to do is put his trust in the one who is the revelation of God to man. Jesus is saying, I am I am the son of man. I am here from God to reveal to you as a human being the revelation of God. So son of man means God revealed. 
And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the one that's to come to reveal God? And the man asks, what's his question? Who is he? So the man is seeking out this out. He's curious. He wants to know, who is this person? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. He's speaking to you. You have seen him. He's speaking to you. And so then we see this final progression in this man's faith journey. And he says, I believe, Lord. And what does he do? What's his action? He worships. He worships. So this man who once was blind has gone from believing Jesus, let's follow the progression one more time, he believes Jesus as a man, then as a prophet, then as one who has disciples and followers, to one who is from God, to now he believes he is God and then worships him. Do you see the transformation in this man's life? This regeneration, this new birth? Now here's what's happened in this man's life, and what is Jesus trying to teach us today from this? So Jesus spitting the nasty saliva, I'm sure Jesus had great, Jesus had great saliva, but he was man, so there had to be bacteria there. By Jesus spitting into some dirt and taking mud and putting it on, his man, on this man's eyes, Jesus is taking something crass, something disgusting to heal this man. So Jesus goes from this moment of taking something gross and disgusting to this man receiving his sight and washing it off of his eyes, and now he can see. See, faith, family, friends, there is a real-life picture here. There's some symbolism here. Because we as human beings, we are born in the state of blindness. Now, it may, may not be physical blindness, but we are born in a state of blindness. We cannot see, we cannot understand, we cannot comprehend. And so Jesus came and died a brutal death for our sin, to take our sins away. Through his blood we are made clean. We are washed away. Our sins are washed away. And then we receive our spiritual sight, just like the old hymn Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, the reality is we're all born spiritual blindness. We're walking around in the dark. And Jesus, in the first part of John chapter 9, verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the one who brings spiritual sight. And then here at the close of John 9, here were these Pharisees and these religious leaders who thought they could see spiritually. They thought they had a level of spiritual understanding. And Jesus says, no, you are actually blind because you think you see. See, we have a tendency to rely on our own intellect, our own knowledge to cure ourselves of spiritual blindness. But the only cure for spiritual blindness is Jesus. It's belief in him. And sometimes for some of us, it happens instantaneously. Where we hear the gospel, we see and believe the work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, and we immediately believe and we're saved. 
for, other, for, for others of us, like myself, it was more of a progression. I can identify with this blind man. Jesus is a man. He's a prophet. He has, he has disciples following him. He's from God, and now he is God. Some of us go through that progression. And let me encourage you today, don't get caught up in the how, but get caught up in the what, what Jesus has done. Because the reality is, if you're here pursuing Jesus, and I'm assuming you are going through this cold weather and the snow and ice this morning, I'm assuming, assuming you're here to get something, understand that it can be a progression of faith. It is a faith journey. It doesn't, belief doesn't happen instantaneously all the time. But at some point for us to have our spiritual blindness removed, we need the light of the world to heal us of our spiritual blindness. And how does that happen? Look again one more time and we're done. What is the result of that? Verse 38. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. If you are experiencing spiritual blindness, if we are experiencing spiritual blindness, we must believe, and that belief results in worship. 